because missions has always been the heartbeat of the church. It always has been. In fact, it should be because as we've looked together at this book of Acts that we've been in for the past several weeks, we see that missions has always been a heartbeat of the church ever since the beginning of the church, and it will remain the heartbeat of the church. That means that we care for people that are outside these four walls, and we should care for them. And so that won't change. And although the heartbeat won't change, as we look at Acts chapter 22 today, we see, we see kind of something happen. There's a little, little bit of a shift I want, I want to look at. Because if you were here last week, then you heard us talk about Paul was on his way to Jerusalem. Right? And he's on his way even though there's trouble waiting for him. There's suffering waiting for him in Jerusalem, but he clearly heard from God. He said, no, I, I need to go. I have to go. It's my call to go. And all the other believers were saying, no, don't. There's trouble waiting for you. There's suffering waiting for you. They were trying to encourage him not to go, but he went anyway. And he knew what, what was at stake. And so at the end of chapter 21, it gives us the account of what happened to Paul in that moment leading up to 22. And since we didn't have time last week to finish chapter 21, I just want a quick read for you to highlight what happened to Paul when he got to Jerusalem, leading us in then to chapter 22 that we'll be in today. So let's look at this together. It says this in the end of chapter 21. Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple, and immediately the gates were closed behind him. As they were trying to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called out his soldiers and officers and ran down among the crowd. And when the mob saw the commander and the troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander arrested him and ordered him bound with two chains. He asked the crowd who he was and what he had done, and some shouted one thing and some another. Since they couldn't find out the truth and all the uproar and confusion, he ordered that Paul be taken to the fortress. As Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent, the soldiers had to lift him to their shoulders to protect him. And the crowd followed behind, shouting, kill him, kill him. Can you imagine this scene? These people were so angry with Paul. They wanted him dead. They, they were trying to kill him. They wanted to kill him. I mean, I don't know if I can even imagine this scenario. And, and, and it's during this volatile moment that's happening, this chaos, that, that, that Paul requests an opportunity to speak. He, Paul wants to address his accusers. And, and, and oddly enough here, the commander-in-chief permitted Paul to speak. And it says this powerful statement in verse 40, the very end of chapter 21, says this, and a deep silence enveloped the crowd. Silence. Si Can you imagine? Chaos in this moment broke into complete silence. The, the people, they were all ears. Why? Because they wanted to hear what this man of God had to say. They wanted to hear what this leader of the church 
had to say. They wanted to to hear and see just how this witness for Jesus Christ was going to handle himself now. What is he going to do? What will he say? And so they were quiet and they listened. And it's in this moment that Paul spoke. Now I I can admit when I think about these moments of silence, that as Christ followers, we face all the time. Right? Things happen in our world or, or, or things happen even in our workplaces. And all those people that know that we are Christ followers stop. And they look at us because they want to see what are they going to do? What are they going to say? How are they going to handle themselves in this moment? And I can admit, as I've thought about those moments of silence over just even these past couple of years, I think, I think I can say I have seen myself and us and even the church as a whole, we've responded in this silence at times with love and grace and compassion and generosity. But I'll admit there's been other times that I've seen us respond in this silence with silence of our own and maybe we should have spoke up and we didn't or maybe I've even seen us respond in these moments of silence not with care and not even with silence but we've responded with judgment or belittling or or, or self-righteousness or anger or justification or, or even rejection and I tell you in these moments of silence the world is looking They are watching, they are listening silently to wait and see what are these Christ followers going to say? How are they going to handle themselves? And we see the crowd here goes silence. And as representatives of Jesus Christ, our response in this silence has eternal consequences. Because look, depending on how we respond in this silence could mean the difference between someone giving church a try and someone walking away and going, see, that's what I thought all along. It could mean the difference between someone opening up to you and sharing their heart and their life with you or, or completely shutting down and saying, no, no, not telling them anything. It could mean the difference between someone taking one step closer to God and to each other through Christ, or one step away, or maybe several steps away, or maybe they run. How we respond in this silence has eternal consequences, and so I put trust in the gap, right? Because that's what we do. We put trust in the gap, and I say, okay, I know it is most of uh, the believers in Jesus, it is most of our intentions I believe, to represent Jesus well. We want to do this well. And so we look at chapter 22 today that records Paul's actions, what he says and what he does with this crowd of people in this moment of silence. Why? So that we can respond the way that he does. And so I want to look at four things today. If you have your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 22. We're going to be in that the whole time, um, or your smartphone, you know, get to your Bible app. We have Bibles in the back of this room. If you need one, if you don't have one at home of your own, I want you to take one of ours. It's okay. You have permission to do that. So let's jump in. Right at the beginning of Acts chapter 22 says this. Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. When they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. I, I wonder, do you, did you notice what Paul does here first? Uh, let me put it like this. 
When I look at this, I think Paul demonstrated care and calmness. I love this verse because Paul not only demonstrated his care and calmness for these people, but it was more than that. He demonstrated to these people respect. He demonstrated to them honor. How, how did he do that? Well, he spoke, it says, in their own language. Maybe you never thought about this before, but Paul spoke Greek, right? When he was speaking to the Roman officials, he would have spoke to them in Greek. But here it says Paul spoke to these Jews in their own language. These Jews would have typically spoken in Aramaic here. Who knew? Paul's bilingual. And he addresses them in Aramaic. This this would have been a game changer, a powerful way to communicate with this group of people. Think about it. When you address someone in their own language, but the barriers come down. The the barriers are torn down. Their willingness to trust comes up. Their their safety comes up. Their respect for you comes up. You make them feel safe and valued. They will give you time and they will listen. Paul does this well and we know that it worked. And how do we know it worked? Because the end of that verse says the silence was even greater. People were all ears now, what is this man of God going to say? He had their attention. And I think about us here at the church. I just, the, the biggest thing I can think that can match this is I love our chapel kids people. I love because they, our chapel kids people have the ability to speak to our kids in a language that they understand. They're phenomenal at it. They don't dumb down the word. No, no, no. They speak it in their language. They kneel down and they show care and calmness to our kids and they speak to them in a way that they understand. They kneel down. And in this passage, we see Paul kneeling down to these people. This is a powerful way to represent Jesus. And it's a great picture of the kind of care and humility we ought to give others when we address them. But did you notice not only his care, but how he dressed dressed them calmly in this interaction? You know, I got to admit, in high-pressure situations like this, I don't think I'm being real calm. If a crowd is is chanting, kill him, kill him, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm getting defensive here. I'm going to argue. I'm going to fight. I'm going to yell. I'm going to kick. I'm going to scream. I'm going to do whatever I can to protect myself in this situation. I doubt I'm being calm here. But Paul, he just, he doesn't respond with anger. He, He addresses these people in a way that is, that is just lowering the tension. Because you know what happens when we meet tension with tension? Well, we puff our chests up and we got to be bigger. Now we got an argument to win. Now it's a power struggle. Now we're in it. We muscle up. And when we do, when we muscle up to someone in an argument, you know who listens? No one. No one listens because we're shouting too loudly. Paul does the opposite. He takes a different tactic. He's poised. He's meek. He's calm. And the people respond to him with silence. They're all ears. And so I I just ask, how are you and I caring for others and meeting them where they are? How are we remaining calm instead of being on attack mode? Because Paul cared and was calm 
And he had a moment here where they were all ears. Then we go on to the second thing Paul does. See if you can pick it out here. It says this. I'm a Jew, Paul said, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia. And I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As a student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. Right? So, he lays it out for them. What is Paul doing? I think he is giving them his credentials here. He's laying out to the Jews. He says, look, I was trained under the best. I was trained under the brightest. I was trained under the most respected Jewish rabbi there is. The rabbi, this rabbi, he was was considered to be, I would say, the most honored rabbi of the first century. This, this this, This man would have been recognized by the people. They knew him. He was well known. He was well respected. He was known as an expert of religious law. This guy is famous. He's a rock star. They knew who he was. His name was known. And Paul says, look, I was trained under him. That holds some weight. And I go, do you think Paul was just bragging about this accomplishment? Do you think he was just trying to make the crowd feel inferior to him? I don't think so. I think what happens in this situation is Paul gives them the credentials so that he has the authority to speak to them. Who, a group of people who would otherwise written him off, they would have not wanted anything to do with them. That he now has the authority to speak to them. And you might be thinking to yourself, if you think like I do, you might be saying, you know, well, that's great for Paul. He had these credentials. But what about me? What about me, Charles? I never went to Bible school. I was never trained under some big rabbi. I don't have a, a, a degree or a seminary degree. I don't have these credentials that he has. So great for Paul, but what does that mean for me? To which I would say, well, guess what? You're in good company because neither did any of the disciples. They never had seminary degrees either. But what their credentials had and what your and my credentials have that are even more than any seminary degree you can possess is, is a relationship with a rabbi. The rabbi, Jesus. In fact, listen to what Acts chapter 4 says here. It says, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see they were ordinary men, no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Peter and John didn't go to Bible college. They didn't go to seminary. Their credentials came from spending time with their rabbi, Jesus. That's where they got their credentials. And yes, people would have have known them for physically being with Jesus, but I think there was so much more than just them physically being with Jesus because of this. There's no denying that we begin to act, think, look like, dress like, become like the people that we hang around the most, don't we? That's why whether you like it or not or want to admit it or not, you are becoming your parents It's because it's natural. They're the ones you spent the time with. Or or if you have teenagers, I bet you would say this. 
Um, and because I've witnessed this, you know, like a teenager goes and spends the night at a friend's house, right, on a weekend, and then they come home on Sunday, and you're like, why are you acting like that? You're talking like your friend. You, you're acting like your friend. It's because they spent all weekend with their friend. We act and talk and think like the people that we spend the most time with. It's natural. That is what happens here. And that is why at the chapel we say you have to spend time with Jesus. Because if you're going to begin to act and think and become like someone, act and think and become like Jesus. And so we say, you've heard me say this lots of times, there's four environments for that, right? The environments of the row, the circle, the chair, and go. Those environments where you will become more like Jesus. The row Right here, you're sitting in rows. It's the weekend. You come and we teach and you listen and you learn. That's the row environment, critical for becoming like Jesus. But then it goes further into a circle environment, right? That's those environments where we're, where we're with a close group of people, uh, our family, our friends, or a small group, someone that you can spend time with, encourage one another, pray with one another, learn with one another, live life with one another. You grow closer to Jesus in those environments. And then... We say the chair, right? That's, that's your alone time with Jesus. That's your every day I'm going to spend some time with him. That chair could be the chair of your car. It could be the chair of your lawnmower. It could be the chair of your desk at work. But it's a chair where you are with Jesus every single day. And when you do those three environments, your credentials then allow you to do the fourth environment. Go. Go share your faith with those around you go. Those four environments, and then we talk about these environments all the time, and yes, Paul studied under a great rabbi, without a doubt, that's great, but you know what? So do we. We, we spend time with our rabbi, Jesus, on a daily basis. I promise you, people won't care you don't have a seminary degree, because they will appreciate your credentials as being someone who is just like their rabbi, Jesus. That's going to make the difference, not your seminary degree. So, Paul is calm, he cares, he gave his credentials, and then see if you can pick out what he's doing next in this passage. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, he tells them, just like all of you today. And I persecuted the followers of the way, hounding some to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. The high priests and the whole council of elders can testify that this is so. For I received letters from them to our Jewish brothers in Damascus, authorizing me to bring the followers of the way from there to Jerusalem in chains to be punished. You see, why does he give him this background of who he was? Well, I think it's because of this third thing. Paul is trying to establish with these people common ground. Notice how Paul identifies with the crowd's current beliefs. He, in fact, he explains to the crowd, he says, look, I used to be just like you. I believed the way you did. I was a Jew. I followed the law to a T. I persecuted Jesus. I persecuted his followers. He was literally saying to them, look, I would have not only agreed with you wanting to kill me, I would have stepped up and done it myself. I get why you're thinking what you're thinking and why you're doing what you're doing. I understand. Paul was able to meet people where they were and relate to them in that moment. Why? Why would he do this? I think it's, it's because perhaps they might 
just listen. And if they listen, then perhaps they might just eventually want to follow Jesus. That's the end game. And I love that it wasn't just Paul. I mean, Jesus himself was a master at this. Over and over again, Jesus met people right where they were, and he painted a kind of picture of the life that that they could have if they followed him. Jesus wrote the book on how to do what Paul's doing right now. In fact, my favorite story, or one of my favorite stories, is of Jesus and Matthew, the tax collector, right? Jesus goes to Matthew right where he's at, at work. I mean, here he is ripping people off. He's taking their money, and Jesus meets him there. Not only meets him there, but he says, guess what, I'm going to your house to eat with all these other tax collectors. Regardless of what the people thought of him, he did it anyway. He met Matthew where he was, and eventually, Matthew gave up his old life of stealing from people and in turn to follow Jesus Christ because Jesus met him where he was established common ground with Matthew. Peter's doing that right here because if you, if you are a Christ follower in this room and you want to share your faith with others, then the very best thing you can do is try to understand where people are right now. Not fight them, not attack them, but to genuinely try to understand. But here's the thing. Most of the time when people hear me say, try to understand where someone is, what they hear is like, oh, so I just have to totally accept them for everything they're doing. I have to be totally okay. I, I, that, that's weakness. I don't show weakness. I can't, I'm not okay with that. that. So hear me. You trying to understand where someone is isn't showing weakness, and it isn't, it isn't even accepting what they're doing. What it's doing is it's showing them honor and respect and it's eliminating barriers so that you might just have the opportunity to share Jesus with them when you otherwise wouldn't. Listen to others. Establish common ground with them. Share about your life before you met Jesus so that people can see where you are now in hopes, in hopes that they will eventually want to trade their old life for a life with Jesus too. So Paul represents Jesus in these silent moments so well. And in this silent moment, he, he steps in as the people are listening, and he's calm and caring. He gives them his credentials, and then he establishes common ground. And because of those three things, he's in the perfect position to do the final step. You know what that is? It's to share your story with confidence and courage. Sure. In fact, we've heard this before in Acts. Um, we've, we know Paul's story. We heard it, but he recounts his story once again for these people. And, and, and this is how his story goes. He says, look, as I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a very bright light from heaven suddenly shone down around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, I ask? And the voice replied, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one you are persecuting. The people with me saw the light but didn't understand the voice speaking to me. And I asked, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told everything you are to do. 
says, I was blinded by the intense light and had to be led by the hand to Damascus by my companions. And a man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. He came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment, I could see him. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and hear him speak. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. And then he even goes on to say, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Look, Paul doesn't hold back here. He tells his story and he tells it boldly with confidence and with courage. Paul declares in this moment to this crowd of people that is all ears and listening in, he tells them everything that God has done in his life through the life-changing grace and truth of Jesus. And in that moment, all the people, they believed and they cheered and they clapped and, and gave their lives to Jesus and Paul became a hero. And you know that's not true. That's not how that moment happened because right after Paul, he shares his faith. The people don't respond like I wish they would. In fact, they responded harshly to Paul. It goes on to say this just a few verses later. It says, The crowd listened until Paul said that word. Then they all began to shout, Away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. They yelled, threw off their coats, and tossed handfuls of dust in the air. Man, you might read those words and go, See, that's why I don't like to share my faith. Because what if people respond to me that way? I don't want to. And if you say that, I, look, I, I, I get it. I get it. It's a lot easier to follow Jesus in private than it is publicly. I, I get that. But when you hold back, people are missing out on hearing what God did in your life. They're missing out on discovering they're missing out on discovering what you have discovered. Your story of life change is the most powerful tool you have. And, and, and you have to allow others to see Jesus through it. And when you decide to live your faith, when you decide to live it out loud with courage and confidence, no matter what it costs you, it could be the very thing that people need to hear in order to come to church someday or put their faith in Jesus Christ someday. And this is what I love about Paul sharing his story. And this is how I want to end encouraging you today. Because, look, people can argue with you about culture all day long. People can argue with you about um, politics all day long. People can argue with you about theology all day long. People can argue with you even about the Bible all day long. They can argue with you about Jesus all day long. You know what they can't argue with you about? Your story. They can't argue with your experience. They, you, they can't argue with your life change. Now, they might not like it, but they can't deny it. And, and they may not want to hear it, and they may think you're crazy, but they can't disprove it. It's your story. It's your life change. So share it. It can't be denied. It, but share it the way Paul did, with the method that he used. Then leave the results up to God. Sometimes people will accept it, 
and they may listen more, and sometimes they may reject it. But that's up to God to decide, not you and I. So these moments, the world becomes silent. And I promise you in these next few years, there's going to be more of these moments. We're heading towards a time when there's going to be moments when the world is going to look at us as Christ followers and go, how are you going to respond to this? What you got to say now? There's more of these moments coming. And I will admit to you, over the past few years, I have seen the church, the big church, not, not the chapel, I'm talking the global church. I've seen the church maybe not fill that silence with representing Jesus very well. The silence I've seen has been filled sometimes with, with fear and, and anger and, and arguing and even the desire to make the other side look dumb. The other side, which by the way is our mission field. I've seen that. And, and now, now is our chance. Now, now as Christ follows in, in small daily ways and in larger public ways, today we have the opportunity to change the approach that we've had. Starting today and even heading through these next several years when we know there's going to be more silent moments, we have the opportunity to change the perception of those people outside our walls looking in at us going, how are they going to respond? And how are we going to change people's perceptions? How are we going to change the way we respond in silence? By following in Paul's footsteps. And what did he do? Well, he demonstrated care and calmness. He spoke their language. We need to speak their language. Two, then he gave his credentials. What's your credentials? Your credentials come from spending time with Jesus. Those are your credentials, the only ones you need. Then three... He established common ground with them. He knelt down and he admitted, I was just like you. He, he tried to understand. And then fourth, with boldness and courage, he, he shared his story. Because no one can take your story away from you. It's yours. So this is my prayer. As we wrap up Acts chapter 22... And as we head into these next weeks and months and years together as a church, this is my prayer that, that we would fill these silent moments that come, that we would fill them together with representing Jesus well. Let's represent him well. We have an opportunity to do that. It starts with us. So let's do that well. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the privilege and the gift it is to be together this morning. Lord, as a family, as a church, to sing, to worship, to pray, to learn together. Lord, I don't take any of that for granted. I thank you. And Lord, I recognize um, in these silent moments, Lord, there's been times that I have not filled that silence well. Lord, I thank you for your grace in those moments. I thank you that even when I blow it, Lord, the results are up to you. You've, you've done incredible things even through that. So, Lord, help us. Um, help us to respond with grace and truth and love. Lord, may it be undeniable that we are followers of yours. So, Lord, help us, please. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen. Hey, have a great day. We will see you next week.